0: Hey guys, it's Brian Jodis and we have a special Pick Up the Six episode for you today. 16 years ago today, four Navy Seals were embedded in the Hindu Kush mountains of Afghanistan. They were ambushed and three gave their lives on that day. It was Operation Red Wings. Today we honor their sacrifice. In total, 19 Americans paid the ultimate price during Red Wings. Today we revisit a pair of interviews, one with Lieutenant Colonel Jeff "Spanky" Peterson the Pave Hawk helicopter pilot who flew Marcus Luttrell, the lone survivor's ride out of that Afghan village, and Dan Murphy, the father of Medal of Honor recipient Lieutenant Michael Murphy. We have edited their original interviews together as they tell the story of heroes and the mission to retrieve the lone survivor and honor the fallen lost on that day. And so with that, this episode of Pick Up the Six podcast is in memory of Michael Murphy, Matthew Axelson, Danny Dietz, Jock Fonten, Daniel Healy, Eric Christensen, Jeffrey Lucas, Michael McGreevy Jr., James Sue, Jeffrey Taylor, Shane Patton, Seamus Gore, Corey Goodnature, Kip Jacoby, Marcus Morales, James Ponder, Stephen Wright, Michael Russell, and Chris Skirkenbach. So it's 2005, it's June 28th, war in Afghanistan is on. Essentially what happens is we've got a lot of activity happening in the region, but specific to the area where you guys were, we got to send these four SEALs in to basically take out this high-ranking Taliban bad guy. Is that a pretty accurate assessment as to where we're at on that day?
1: On the 28th
0: yep on june 28th
1: yeah so we, uh, as far as i know it, this was a classified operation and we were a thousand miles away we were down in Kandahar. this was happening all up in northeastern afghanistan uh up by bagram so okay. we we're just sitting the only thing we heard we stayed up all night and slept during the day because we were utilized at night if needed, because the Army didn't have flares or uh, goggle experience Mm -hmm. uh, like we did. So they would call us when it was too dark or the threat was too high. But it was pretty much a vanilla deployment. We even swapped out. It was a three or four-month deployment, and I just came in for the second half. So I was only there for 60 days.
0: Four seals into the Hindu Kush. They get compromised. Three of them get killed along the way. One is left. Between, and and given the, I guess, the proximity of where you guys weren't related to that, I mean, again, you're a thousand miles away. You're at a fob. I mean, you're sort of carrying on life. You're waiting for if they're going to have to send you in for, for whatever could happen during these ongoing efforts. At what point between we've lost guys? We've got a guy that we think is left there. We got to go get him. Can you talk us through what happens there? I mean, at at what point are you brought in to a briefing room to where it's like, you guys are going in. Here's what we're going to do. Can you walk me through that timeline? So we
1: heard, and it wasn't through our Intel channels. It was through like freaking CNN or something. As we were up at night that a Chinook crashed in Afghanistan, right? Hmm. And I remember us asking our intel guys, could you look into this for us? And they couldn't find anything, which we thought was odd. Looking back now, it was classified. And Mm -hmm. of course, they weren't going to say a 160th bird packed it in. So that's all we knew that night prior. And then we got breakfast and went to bed. And about midday, just after lunchtime, we got woken up with a Call over the radios, magic, magic, magic. And I, the first thing that went through my mind was whoever just did that's going to get in trouble because that's real world. We yeah, don't yeah. use those code words right. on open air,
0: which means uh, basically we got to go.
1: It's hit the fan. We rushed to the talk. They said, grab a three day bag, you're going to Bagram. So, a two ship, Skinny uh, and I, he was flight lead. I was number two this week. Thank heavens. The week prior, I was flight lead. And we went up, it's about a four and a half hour flight up to Bagram, got there about dinner time, it was getting dark. And they whisked us in behind the, the, the soft compound, which Air Force Rescue, and we, we don't usually play with the soft guys, a ton, we augment at times, but they're pretty self-sufficient.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they brought us in, I thought it was interesting, they made us sit down and sign non-disclosure statements, all, you know, like 14 of us, before they'd even talk to us. And then they brought uh, Redis in on a classified op called Operation Red Wing.
2: They're walked on by a uh, goat herders. They don't know what to do. Michael turns around to his men and says, okay, guys, four, four heads are better than, than, than one. Uh, what do you think? And then you have the discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Axelson says we should kill them. And of course, Michael goes through the, through the process. Well, if we kill them... What do we do about the hundred goats with bells around their neck? Sure. Says, who's going to kill them? Because you can't shoot them. So somebody's going to have to cut their throats. And who's going to kill a 15-year-old man, a boy? So, of course, Danny goes, you know, Mike, that's your decision, not mine. Marcus, thinking about this, says, uh, um, Murph, I guess you're right. We're going to have to let him go. And Michael says, yeah, I think we have to let him go. And they let him go. A consensus builder, as opposed to saying, we're letting him go. This is This is what's right. going to happen. Now, Marcus, when he discusses it, you know, Robinson basically probably used the wrong term in saying there was a vote. He said Michael more or less polled his men, basically asking them their opinion. What do you think we should do? And, you know, and landed on where Michael knew they had to go with the rules of engagement, which is they have to be released. Um, And so um, uh, they released them. And I don't think Michael, even if he knew the outcome, would have changed his decision
0: there's this incredible orchestra of all these elements that have to take place from the four seals going in, three being killed, one being left. And again, we we, we know we got somebody down there we got to go get. So now let's jump into, all right, it's go time. We are going in to extract whoever we're going to get at the time. Can you walk me up to where we get started with that?
1: Yeah. So we, 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 we stayed in Jalalabad. That night, we went and picked up a village elder that had hiked out and said, hey, we got an American in our village. Here's a note he gave us, an ISO prep you know? And we're like, well, okay, was that tortured? You know, this, that. But we started realizing it was Marcus, but we didn't believe him. We didn't know if he was dead or if he was tortured or if he still was alive. So we went and got him. And the problem was they had told us while we were sleeping, the clicking had stopped. So we thought, this isn't good. This isn't good. We drop them off. We head back to Bagram. This was the first time that we had really been able to get real chow. Remember, it was kind of slow. So i had been calling my wife every day and then suddenly I stopped. So she's freaking out. Mm -hmm. What's going on? You know, this and that. So we were able to go in. They said, get cleaned up. We got a brief coming this afternoon. That's when it all hit the fan. We went to the brief, they came in, they said the Chinook's gonna go in, we've got a 20-man soft team, we've already hiked into the village. He is secure, he is alive, he is safe, but he's coming out tonight. So what's gonna happen, Chinook's gonna go in, get the 20 plus the survivor, we're gonna be five miles off orbiting in case something's needed. Come back for the the final brief in in an hour. We come back, a lot had happened in that hour, there was a second American in a village 10 kilometers away. Blah, 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 blah. Un- it, 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 it really was nothing. But they thought that it could have been someone or a Marine that had gone missing three weeks prior. They, they didn't know. that So I'm going to hike the 20-man soft team to that other village. Now I'm only picking up one guy. Do I need waste a waste of Chinook just to get one guy? Or could I keep be putting more Rangers and and support personnel up on the mountain? And that's when they looked over to us and said, 60s, you've got to pick up.
2: It's uh, I know Marcus carries carries with him a lot of guilt, mm-hmm. uh, but Marcus is an incredible young man. Uh, we love him to death, and we every time we see him, we try and remind him, look at, it, it's not you, yeah. <laughs> you know, Michael. This was a decision Michael preordained, and Marcus, you shouldn't take it on yourself to think that oh, if I had just decided uh, differently, Michael would still be alive because it wouldn't have happened. Because Michael then would have uh, put, basically put his foot down, and said, "No, we, we can't do this." Right. So, the, in, in that way, I feel—I uh, I just feel sorry. Having been in combat, I know what's going through Marcus's mind. It's a really—it's tough to carry, you know, that on your shoulders. Um, but we, we as our family and the other families, try and uh, let him know over and over that, "Look, it—you did what was necessary. You survived."
1: You know, we start getting closer. We see some guys on the ground. One of the soft guys had his laser on his gun that was sweeping the ground and the rock face next to us. What was very helpful to kind of show us the outline of the LZ. It was just a very tight ledge built into this cliff face, if you will, with some mud huts. It wasn't that big of a thing.
0: So adversity almost every step of the way, but you keep going. You got to keep going. Oh, yeah. Right? You, what are you going to do? You can't. We got to keep going. We got to get this guy. We got to I mean, keep going.
1: We've got checks and balances. If this doesn't happen here, this, that. But it, it is hard. You know there's an American that is expecting you to come and get him. And um, what we didn't want to do was sit there near the crash site in bad guy country, up high in the mountains, orbiting, mm-hmm. trying to you know, turning our lights on, trying to find this stupid thing, uh, but it worked out, you know, and that's why we train. We train to to think and act and react on the fly um, because, you know, we might be flying. We don't even know where our survivor is. A lot of times they'll send us out before they even have data because we're so slow. They know it's going to be an hour and a half flight mm-hmm. and we're getting updates as we get closer.
0: You've, Jumped over hurdle after hurdle to get there. This A-10 angel (laughs) shines the light down for you. You finally are like, okay, we got our spot. We know where we've got to land. But before you can even land, one more hurdle is thrown at you in this massive brownout and everything goes dark. What happened?
1: Yeah. I hadn't really thought much about my lighting plan. Not that it would have helped much anyways, because the... Gunship was going to light it up like a football stadium, so I wasn't that nervous to a certain degree. And the pictures we had very good imagery. It was a green field, looked like turf. Well, it had been. This is going to be
0: sweet. We're going to land. We're going to pick them up. We're going to roll out.
1: Yeah. So it wasn't green. It was brown. And as I started getting closer, it was a a newly cultivated field. I got through TransLift and started, uh, there was a tree behind me. I had to worry about my tail rotor and I was coming down. And as I hit about, you know, 30 feet, next thing you know, is I'm in some hellacious brownout in the mountains, in bad guy country, (laughs) by very steep mountain at ledges and cliffs, And that's not good. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a car wreck or a traumatic thing. It just seemed like everything kind of sort of went into slow motion. My guys in the back are laying down, looking, they can see straight down. But with my cockpit, we were flying with the doors on at the time, which we shouldn't. We've since started flying combat with the doors off because you can see so much better. I didn't want to drift into that rock face of the ledge that was to my left. To the but left to of my you, right, was you know, hundreds or a thousand foot drop down this steep ravine. And you know, I I can't hover in a brownout, you know, and that's when I that's when I really thought, okay, I screwed up, and quite frankly, start thinking about my wife and kids again, mm-hmm. the failure. Marcus on the ground. Who's going to get him now? Who's going to get all of us now? Are we going to die? You know, all this is going through when off in the distance, probably about 50 feet in front of me on that ledge on the upper side, I could see some kind of bush or branches or something was growing up there, a big weed, I don't know, that was hanging off the edge. Like, I don't know, it reminded me of these hanging pots my mom would put on our back patio. And my rotor wash was whipping it around. And I could see that movement and those weeds through straight ahead. But I couldn't see the left, couldn't see the right, couldn't see the ground. But my mind instantly could tell now left, right, up, down. And my hover, boom, I'm good. Once I got in a solid hover, my FE was able to call me to the ground We land, we kick some water out to the right for the guys that are going for the hike tomorrow and PJs jump out to the right. Now I'm just waiting. Now it's their turn. Come to find out there was what we thought possibly two bad guys rushing the helicopter from the rear near their tail rotor, which isn't bad. And you never rush a helicopter. They were dressed in Afghani garb and they almost shot them both until clearly a third person behind him that was an American special forces in uniform. They held off, thank heavens. I mean, they had the red dots on their chest. It was Marcus that had been, you know, and we didn't even know he could walk. He he had a broken back, multiple gunshot and shrapnel wounds, this, that, but he was not gonna let this opportunity leave. And him and the shepherd that helped uh, rescue him or rush in the helicopter. They quickly authenticate, throw him in the back, and I just hear go, go, go. I pick up and dive off the ledge into the black hole. Skinny follows, gunships, A 10s. We all start heading out down the mountain and back down to Jalalabad where the
2: transload was. As far as I'm concerned, if Marcus doesn't survive, no one knows what happened. Michael doesn't get the Medal of Honor, right? And uh, so uh, it was ordained that that Marcus should survive and get that story out.
0: By the time you put that pave hawk on that dirt field to where you've got Marcus Luttrell on board and you dive back off that mountain, how long are we talking here?
1: Not that long. It seemed like an eternity. Um, I remember yelling at my FE, asking him, why in the crap did he get me so close to the ledge? Because I couldn't even see dirt out my window. And he was like, sir, I knew we were okay. You didn't need that information right now. (laughs) It was okay. So I remember being pissed at him and this and that, but it it was probably less than... 30 seconds, maybe 45 at the most, probably 30 seconds, but it seemed like an eternity. We didn't want to stay around um, too long. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. The other guys in the air and on the ground to deal with that. Your mission was to go in land, pick this man up and bring him home. So in that 30 seconds or so that you're on the ground and you have him, you jump off the cliff, you're heading back. The cavalry's heading back home. You said on the way in, you had all this time to think, but then once it was go time, you just locked in on the mission. You mentioned your family again, as you're in that brownout, which feels like minutes, it's really probably 10 or 15 seconds yeah. before you lock in on that plant. At what point on the flight back does the weight of all this hit you?
1: So the mission actually was continuing. Unfortunately, we didn't know this until we'd already taken off the shepherd or Gulab that had rescued him or brought him to the village. Jumped on the helicopter with him, and the PJs allowed it. So we had him on. We expressed that to headquarters. They did not want him going to Jalalabad. They said drop him off at the bottom of the valley at Asadabad. So we had to land, drop him off, then took off and flew the other 15, 20 minutes back to Jalalabad, where there was a waiting uh, MC 130 Talon with doctors, nurses, and this and that. And at that time, we landed at the rear of that heli- uh, that aircraft that was basically right there on the runway. He wasn't walking now, the PJs were carrying him basically. Collapsed, that's the first time I actually saw him out, out the left window, collapsed on a cot. And before the tail had even got very far off the ground, they were taxiing and getting ready for takeoff and was off. In, probably less than, you know, 30 seconds too. Cause they could get back to Bagram, back to a hospital way quicker than slow helicopter boy. We went, there was a second, now we were the uh, show. So they had another tanker there waiting for us. We landed at, at the rear, was able to get, get hot gas from them. And then we repositioned back into the spot where we were waiting for those couple nights. And as the aircraft were shutting down, that's when the mission was over. And that's when it was it was the weirdest thing. I haven't experienced it ever since. I, I think when you're so hopped up on adrenaline and this and that, it just left my body and I visibly just started shaking. And I was like, okay, this is weird. They're all hooping and hollering in the back. Perchecki, one of my PJs, came slamming the window, Spanky, you're the man, you know? And I'm like, dude, they have no freaking idea how close they are, were to balling it up there. You know, I mean, it was was kind of stupid and dicey. And all I wanted to do, sounds cheesy, was talk to my wife, but I knew it wasn't possible. We're in jail, bad, out in the middle of nowhere, this, that, we even go into the talk go get some more Pop-Tarts and Red Bull, I guess, you know, because they wanted us to wait there until daylight. That's when one of the Marines like, hey, dude, we got a sat phone in the back if you want to use it. So I remember I went back there and called my wife and she wasn't at home. I called her cell here in Tucson and she was at a fabric store. We'd just built a house and was getting some material for curtains. And she was excited to talk to me. She wanted to know if, in our code word, was I with Mike? One of our friends that was on Chalk 3 that was back at Bagram, she knew if I was with Mike, I was at a big base, secure this, that. If I was out and about, that means I was in the middle of nowhere and it wasn't good. I said, no, I'm out and about. She was asking all these questions, this, that. And she just said, I just kept saying, everything is really, really good. It's really, really good, I guess I kept saying that. And then finally she paused us and said, "Did you just do what you've been training your whole career to do? You know, I almost get emotional talking about it because it was it was a, it was a pretty intense mission. And I started getting emotional. I was like, Penny, there are like freaking Marines right outside this talk. Don't get me going. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, but it was great to talk to her you know, where in the world do you get to do that? You know, they used to write letters or whatever, but that's what I needed at the time. And it just brought everything into perspective, you know, and that's what it's all about. That's our mission. We go in and we save. we put our behinds on the line to save other Americans. We went in, I rightfully quickly volunteered to say, Hey, I'll watch the radios back at Bagram and Skinny and the other aircraft went in and picked up uh an old Medal of Honor recipient Mike Murphy and Danny Dietz. It took us a few days to find uh Ax or
0: Axelson. Those men had to make a tough decision, but the right decision. You, you do the right things right for the right reasons, just yeah. like you talked about. And even in that moment, exactly. he had.
2: And let me tell you something else. It was uh, that Michael said to me. You know, when I spoke to him uh, uh, when he joined the Navy SEALs, I said, "You know, Michael," I said, "Just, uh, just so you know, you know, you're going into a dangerous profession." Where you're going to be behind enemy lines? Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of support. If things go bad, they're going to go really bad. Uh, I said, and, and 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 this could be this could be a dangerous situation. And he turns to me as his father. And he goes and he says like this. He goes, Dad. He said, look. It, he says, just so you know, I'm not looking to get myself killed. But should it happen, I'd rather that than sit behind a desk for 30 years and hate my life. Mm. So I hold that close as his father. Yes, Michael, I want you back because you—you know—you're my son. But then when I think about it, I say to myself, "But do I? Would I want him back where where he's sitting behind a desk for thirty years and he hates his life or the life he lived?" And so I try. That's the way I look at it. That we celebrate his life, not remember his death.
0: The other part of this story, you know, not only just. You know, his his incredible selflessness, the ability to provide direction to his men, enforce a standard. The standard on this mountain is this. We are Americans. We are above the way others might do things. The Taliban would have whacked us if they had the chance. We will not. And to make a hard decision. And that's what they did in that moment. The other piece is, is how our nation will spare no expense to go get our own, right? The effort that went into retrieving Marcus Is absolutely incredible when you think about the fact that a Chinook goes in, it's unsuccessful, we lose more. We have to come up with a plan to retrieve them and to go retrieve him. And it's this Air Force Reserve team, sir, that does it. I mean, it's amazing hearing Spanky talk about that, you know, and then and then while that's happening, right, while Marcus is being extracted, still coming up with an effort to go get your son and to go get Danny Dietz and then a few weeks later to go get Axelson because he was in a different area. Yeah. Um, how much do you know about that extraction effort? And would you mind sharing some of that? With
2: well, uh, we know I know a lot about it because um, the pararescue uh, men who rescue, who basically recovered Michael and Danny was so moved by Michael and his story that he started what ultimately became uh, the CrossFit program MRF mm-hmm. and the MRF challenge. Uh, Dr. Josh Chappelle was the uh, man uh, and a doctor on that helicopter. So you think about the sacrifice that he's making. I mean, here he is yep. as a doctor and he's in, you know, extractions uh, of that type are highly dangerous. Yep. Um, and he uh, recovers Michael and he's so moved, he starts what he calls Memorial Day Murph doing the CrossFit program that Michael loved. Um, and it got so big and because it was so popular, that he wound up turning it over to two Navy SEALs, Mike Sowers and Ryan Brundage, uh, from Forged, who took it nationwide. Yep. Uh, so that now you have this Murph challenge during the Memorial Day weekend.
0: I want so, to talk. I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but first, part of the story includes, you know, the the, the harrowing effort to really go retrieve our our uh, fallen brothers that are left behind. Pair rescue sure. men that essentially, when they find them, uh, have to secure them have to stay with those bodies until helicopters are able to come hoist them up spend a few days with them protect- well they
2: recovered they recovered the men from the helicopter crash first mm-hmm. um and they were then transported back to the states uh Michael uh, uh, and Danny and um, Matt uh, and then Matt uh, like 10 days later mm-hmm. uh were recovered separately um and then um, and then uh, were returned home. Yeah. So uh, uh, Josh was involved in all that, but uh, it's it, for some reason it just Michael Michael's story resonated with Josh sure, sure. a lot, and um, uh, so uh, we've become kind of uh, good friends and close. He was at the christening of the USS Michael Murphy, among others.
0: Beautiful, Beautiful.
2: Um, uh, But I'm, I'm I'm glad you know the SEALs are such a small community, uh, and it's all about team. No matter mm-hmm. what you talk, so it's just that's the way they are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so it doesn't surprise me that these uh extraction guys um uh risked their lives. Uh, uh, Spanky in particular trying to pull a helicopter in at night on the side of a mountain, hoping that the rotor didn't uh didn't strike uh didn't strike uh the mountainside uh in order to, in order to pick up Marcus.
1: It was just great being a part of it and and just being a small part of it because there was so many ground forces, so many other air assets, army helicopters, A-10s, F-16, lots of aircraft that helped keep him safe and helped do that so we could then go get him. And now he's happily married in Texas with two wonderful kids, so.
0: I wanna talk about him a little bit too because he's become just this incredible icon, almost larger than life to an extent. You know him on a personal level. President Kennedy said, let every nation know Whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. In that moment, pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship to go get one seal out, all of that to retrieve the three that he lost, his buddies. And the sixteen others that went in after them, that were part of that Chinook crew, that is incredibly powerful. That shows the extent at which our nation will go to retrieve our own. You're part of that moment. How much has that become part of your life since that moment?
1: Um, I I, I did two two additional. Uh, deployment to Afghanistan, Um, and we did tons of missions. Uh, They just didn't make a movie or write a book about them, you know. Um, A lot of them weren't as dicey as that, but there were others that were super scary and super intense, Um, but we enjoyed it. We, we volunteer to do this. Nobody has a gun to our head making us do it. It's a volunteer force. And we do it out of the love of that wonderful flag that people sometimes don't respect in my opinion at, at times. We do it for our country. We do it for our neighbors. We do it to keep America strong and that superpower that we need to stay, you know, because it is true, there is so much um, good about the United States military that we're a formidable opponent. But as President Kennedy says, we'll do whatever it takes in order to get our guys back. And we do still do that. And, that, and, and quite frankly, I talked to a lot of my fighter friends. They know if they got to jump out that I'm going to come and get them because they might not have that same feeling about going on that mission if they didn't know that rescue or some plan
0: was to get them out. He's Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Spanky Peterson. He's Dan Murphy. His son is Murph the Protector, Michael Murphy. I'm Brian Jodis, and this has been Pick Up the Six Podcast.